you. So today in part six, I want to talk to you about this. Be confident. Be confident. You need confidence if you're ever going to step out in faith and do new things for God. You need confidence if you're ever going to witness to somebody about Jesus. You need confidence if you're ever going to love someone after you've been rejected by somebody else in the past. You need confidence if you're ever going to try new things or join a church or wear your hair the way you want to wear it regardless of all your friends like it or not. You got to be confident. Be confident if you're a 42-year-old pastor and you want to get an earring. Just get the earring. Who cares what anybody else thinks as long as God's okay with it? Which three days ago, my ear got infected and I had to pull it out. So God might not have been okay with it, but it was fun for two weeks. <laughs> Just be confident. <laughs> people that are not confident, the opposite would be they're insecure. Insecure people, they get so offended easily. You can't correct them. You can't instruct them. You ask them to serve in an area of church and then you give them a little bit of corrective criticism. Could you do this? And they get so bent out of shape. Insecure people, they always need outside validation from everybody else before they dress a certain way or before they buy a car, before they send their kids to this school. They got to make sure their parents are okay with it or they got to make sure their friends are okay with it. That's not how we're supposed to live our life. Um, ten times God told Joshua, ten times he said, if you're going to fulfill your destiny, you have to be confident. In Joshua 1.5, God said this, I will always be with you. I will never abandon you. Just be confident and you will inherit everything that I've promised you. Two things I want you to see. The first one is God didn't say you got to be perfect. He didn't say you got to do everything just right. You can't make a mistake. You got to obey me every time I speak and then you'll inherit that what I promised. He said this, be confident. Now here's the big kicker today. Here is the, um, the, 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 the deceitful lie that we're going to break down. The Bible never, ever, 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 ever says, ever, 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 ever says that you're supposed to be self-confident. Never, ever, ever. That is the world's craziest lie. And the world, there's all these books out there and, and TV shows and motivational speakers. And somehow that lie has creeped in to the Christian life. Somehow that lie has creeped into the church. You're supposed to be self-confident. You're not. Never. If you have 1% self-confidence, you will not fulfill your destiny. You need to have zero self-confidence. Never teach your children to be self-confident. Ever, 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 ever. When it's self-confident, is focused on you. God did not say, Joshua, it's all about you. Here's what God said. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. That's what you should be confident in. You be confident in your God, not yourself. When you're self-confident, it's about you comparing yourself to some. Well, I'm thinner than this person, so I can feel good about myself. Or I'm smarter than this one. Or I make more money than this one. Or I'm more successful than this one. But here's the problem with being self-confident. Somebody's always going to come along that's thinner than you, that's prettier than you, that makes more money, that's smarter than you. Never be self-confident. Self-confidence is all about things that you will lose. You will lose your looks. I mean, not me, but most of y'all will. You will lose. You will lose the money. It's not going to all, just like that, you could lose all the money you have in the stock market and the bank and everywhere else. Um, you will lose certain relationships. You can't put your confidence in people. You can't put your confidence in your parents, not even in your spouse. And yes, that person loves you, but the only person that will never leave you, never forsake you, always be with you, is God. That's where your confidence should be. And if you're deceived and you think there's actually something that you can do without God, John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not a single thing. 
See, when you're God confident, all of your security comes from within. It comes from what God is doing in your life, what God is saying about you, what God wants you to walk in. It comes from everything God's done for you in the past. When you're God confident, that's something you'll never, ever, ever lose. So I have three points for you today on how to be confident. Number one is this. Be confident in your God. In your God. Um, if your confidence or your success or your security comes from how much money you make, then Mother Teresa was a huge failure. If your confidence, your security comes from the approval of others, then Rosa Parks should have been a very insecure woman. If your confidence, your security, your self-worth comes from in your popularity and how many people follow you on Instagram and how many people agree with what you're doing, then Jesus was the world's biggest failure. Because that one day they were saying, Hosanna, King of the Jews. Those same people three days later were saying, crucify him. Do you know people can turn on you just like that? The world can turn on you. You can have all these dreams come true and all these people praise your name. And three days later, they'll be saying, crucify him. Get rid of him. We don't want him anymore. I saw a study that was done. I read about a study that was done in this college where this professor gave all of his students these special eyeglasses and they were to wear them for two weeks and then they were to write a report on what they learned and what it was like wearing them. Well, the eyeglasses, when you put them on, it made everything you looked at upside down. The whole world was flipped upside down, the opposite of everything they had ever known. And so for the first week, there was so much confusion. All the students had to be led to, to class by somebody and led to the bathroom and taken to their dorm room. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. They stumbled over everything. By week two, some of the students were able to walk by themselves very, very slowly, but they were able to get around campus. Some other students were able to start writing and reading with everything upside down. Even though the experiment was only supposed to last two weeks, everyone was so intrigued by it, they said, let's do it another two weeks. So they continued for the full month. After a month, can you believe every single one of the students' minds compensated for what they were seeing, and now everything was normal to them. They were living their entire life upside down, writing upside down, reading, watching TV, talking to people in relationships. Their whole world was the opposite of what it's supposed to be, and it was normal for them now. Their whole mind, their whole eye, everything compensated for it. Okay, that's exactly what it's like for us if we keep believing that our confidence should come from ourselves our intelligence, our talents, our looks, our abilities. It's not the way God created us. It's not supposed to be normal, but our soul will end up compensating for it. And now we'll see all of our life upside down and everything we do, all of our security, all of our confidence, it'll come from ourselves. That's not how God created us. But the world says that's what it's supposed to be. Just feel good about yourself and, and look how great you are and you can do this. You can do nothing apart from God. That is not the norm for believers. In Exodus 33, 2, the Lord told Moses, if you'll just get all of my people to the promised land, I'll send one angel to drive out the giants that live there. So Moses, instead of having confidence in God's word, he got them a few miles from the promised land. All he had to do was get all two million of them up to it and God would take care of it, but he didn't. He sat back and waited. He was a high C personality. He didn't want to make the wrong move. He overthought everything. So Moses sends in 12 spies to spy out everything and see the details and bring back a report. 10 of the 12 spies said in Numbers 13, 33, we saw giants and we were in our own 
sight like grasshoppers compared to them. Do you see how they saw themselves? They said, they didn't say they called us grasshoppers. They said, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers when we compared ourselves to everybody else. When I looked at that one, we weren't as thin as she was. When I looked at this one, I wasn't as popular as he was, wasn't as smart as this one. God never said to compare yourself to anybody. He said, have confidence in what I told you to do. But everything in their life was upside down. They were seeing themselves based on everybody else. The, the reason they didn't go in the promised land is because their confidence came from their own strength. What they could accomplish. We can't beat these giants. And God said, you were never supposed to. I'm going to take care of them. You're just supposed to have confidence in what I say. It seems like so many times in life, even when we read the Bible, we read the Bible focused on ourselves. Um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. Here's what we focus on. I can do all things. That's our focus. That's not what the focus should be. It should be through Christ who gives me strength. That should be the focus. Um, I have a baseball bat that's worth uh, $20 in my garage. I bought it for 20 bucks. That's what it's worth. I read that a few years ago, there was a baseball bat that sold in an auction for $100,000. Now that baseball bat that's 100 grand, it looks just like mine. It feels just like mine. You know, the difference is Babe Ruth used to own that baseball bat. I have a handkerchief in my, in my sock drawer at home and uh, it's worth probably three dollars. I don't know. I've used it, so it's probably worth less than that. But a handkerchief sold at auction about ten years ago for three hundred thousand dollars. There wasn't jewels or diamonds or rubies on it. In fact, there was somebody's sweat on the handkerchief. Do you want to guess whose sweat was on that three hundred thousand dollar handkerchief? Elvis. How did y'all know that? It was Elvis Presley's sweat. Can you believe my sweat ain't worth nothing? His sweat, $300,000, here's the difference is whose sweat it belongs to, right? Okay, here's why I can have confidence. Not because of what I do, not because how much money I have in the bank, not because of my talents. I can be confident in life because of who I belong to. Amen. And there was a greater price paid for me than there was Elvis Presley's sweat. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, um, God paid a great price for you. In fact, he paid the highest price that's ever been paid for anything, anytime, anywhere in the world. He gave his life. And he wasn't just an average man giving his life. The king of the universe stepped down from his throne and gave his life for me. So again, looking at scriptures, Romans 8, 37. We are more than conquerors. We love that part, but we miss the next part. Through Jesus, who loved us so much that he died for us. Ephesians 1 7 in Jesus we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins. you can't forgive yourself and you think you need to have self-confidence you can't even forgive yourself for your sins first Corinthians 15 57 thanks be to God who always gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ Philippians 4 19 my God will supply we love that line God will supply all my needs my needs will be supplied. Thank you, God, for my needs. You're missing the whole point of it. It's all about this. Through Jesus, the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 24. By the stripes of Jesus, you've been healed. We focus so much on being healed. We need to focus on the stripes of Jesus. 
Ephesians 3.12, in Jesus we have confident access to freely approach God. You can't even talk to God if it were not for what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He could not even hear your prayer if not for Jesus. And just in case you think there's anything in the world you can do apart from him, Acts 17.28 says, for in him we live and move and exist. You can't even exist without him. You can't even exist. In fact, his grace was in your life before you even got saved. He was already in your life trying to draw you toward him before you even, you could not even choose him if it were not for him giving you the ability to choose him. We can do nothing apart from God. Number two is this, be confident in your gifts. To be more specific, be confident in the gifts that God's given you. It all comes from God, all of it. Um, do you know that David was not the only person who could have killed Goliath? He was not by any means, by any means, the most talented slingshot guy there. In fact, a few chapters later in the Bible, it talks about this army owned by Gibeah. It says in Judges 20:16, Gibeah's army had 700 experts who could sling a rock at a target the size of a hair and not miss. At least 700 other men could have done what David did. There were probably thousands in the Israeli army that could have done what David did. Here's the key. David was the only one who had enough confidence in the gift that God gave him to step out and face Goliath. I'm sure those other 700,000 men, I'm sure they looked around and thought, man, any of us can use a slingshot. My gift is very ordinary. It's very average. There's 700 other pastors. 700 other singers, 700 other musicians, 700 other plumbers, 700 other stay-at-home moms, 700 other IT guys. There's people, there's people with my gift everywhere. How is my gift going to do anything? And David said, well, God's the one that gave it to me, so God's the one that's going to use it. So he's the only one that stepped out and used it. Anyone else could have done what David did, but they didn't have confidence in the gift that God gave them. Proverbs 18, 16 says, a man's gift is what God uses to make room for him, not compared to anybody else's. You know, David uh, was an incredible leader. In fact, his leadership skills in the Bible are still used by militaries all over the world. Um, David was an incredible psalmist. He wrote songs um, to this day that, that people are still singing. David was uh, an anointed harpist. When he played the harp, demons left the presence of Saul. He excelled in those three areas. But do you know the gift that caused him to be thrust to a whole new level in life was the itty-bitty, average, ordinary gift of being able to sling a rock with a slingshot. I mean, he was better than everybody else at the other things, but God used something that anybody else there could have done, and that's what caused him to get promoted in his life. Um, I, I, I want to give you a soccer lesson. You know, I, I coach soccer, and I've played it since I was a kid. So for practically 40 years, I've been playing soccer. And so without going into a lot of details, there are two main parts of our soccer team. In fact, we just started the season again, and um, last week was our first game, and my son Asher scored three goals of the six, and we won six to zero. I mean, we're, our team's incredible. And so there's two main parts. There's the, the front line. These are the forwards. They're the offensive part. The Ford's job is to score goals so we can get points, okay? Then there's the defense. They're called the fullbacks. The fullbacks' job is to prevent the other team from scoring goals, okay? So if the Fords do their part correctly and well, we're going to score points. 
If the fullbacks do their part well, the other team will not score points. You with me so far, right? Okay. When the fullbacks defend our goal and they stop the team from scoring a point, the parents on the sidelines, they don't really cheer that much. Some of them will say, woo, yay. Maybe one of the kids' parents will say something. But if any of our Fords score a goal, everybody on the sidelines starts screaming and jumping up and down. The Ford position is more luxurious. It's more popular. More people scream and yell and cheer for the Fords. The fullbacks, not so much. They're doing their job. We're all on the same team. Everyone is needed. The whole team has the same desire, which is to win the game. But problems occur in life when the fullback says, you know what, I'm where I'm at, I don't get a lot of cheers like the Fords. People don't celebrate me like they do the Fords. I don't get to score points, so here's what I'm gonna do in life. I'm gonna change positions. I'm gonna go into an area that's not even part of my gift, just so I can try to win the popularity of the people. And I see too many adults today that are trying to function outside of their God-given personality trying to do things they weren't called to do, all because they want to feel better about themselves. I would rather be the best fullback I can be for God and win the game than be a forward for myself and lose the game. And every season, every season, I got kids back here saying, I want to play forward, I want to play forward. And I say, you're so much better here. You do such a great job here. This is where we need you. I don't care. I want to play up here. And of course, I tell them no, because these guys, this, this, that's where they were made to play. This is their position. But adults do the same thing. And not just with our personality gifts, but with the fivefold ministry gift. In Ephesians 4.11, it says God gave some people to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. I know too many evangelists trying to be pastors, pastors trying to be prophets, prophets trying to be apostles, apostles trying to be teachers. In fact, I sat under... Um, this, I sat under several pastors for about 10 to 12 years before I became a pastor. I worked at five different churches in Myrtle Beach, and so every night there was a different service. And this one pastor, he hired me, and um, his church just would never grow, never grow. And I found out the first 20 years of his ministry, he excelled as a teacher at Lee University. Now, Lee University, in my opinion, is the, the greatest Christian college in the nation. It's in Tennessee. And he excelled. I mean, kids would take his class and love it. And, you know, then, of course, go to the next class. He could talk for three hours on one of the tribes of Israel without even stopping for a second to take a break. Now, that's great if you're going to a class to be taught. But on a Sunday morning, you don't want to sit here for three hours and hear about one of the tribes of Israel, right? And so in his church, it never grew and never grew. And we went out to lunch one day, went and got hot dogs one day, and we're talking. And I said, is there anything I can do to help you grow your church? And I noticed there's not any fruit being produced. What can I do to help? And he told me his life story. He said, after 20 years of teaching, and he said, I loved it. He wrote books. He did such a great job. He kept getting promoted at the college he was at. After 20 years, all of his buddies said, man... If you would be a pastor, you'd get so much more recognition and affirmation, and you could grow with these people. You'd see the same people year after year. Man, when you're a teacher, they just come take your class and leave, and you never see them again. Pastoring is so much more exciting. So you know what he did? He switched positions. He went to a place he wasn't called to be at. It didn't fit with the God-given gift. He wanted some type of affirmation or validation from the world. And he was doing such a great job teaching. If he had only stuck to the position where God 
had him. Do you need validation from others to be confident? Do you need a title at work or at church to feel good about yourself? Do you need a position somewhere to be confident in who God made you to be? Do you need to look a certain way, be a certain weight, have a certain amount of money in the bank to feel good about yourself? I heard somebody say, when you're 20 years old, you wonder what everybody's thinking about you. But when you're 40 years old, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. But when you're 60 years old, you realize nobody was ever thinking about you. <laughs> they have their own life. They don't care what you're doing. For one second, they look in your direction and they go to their own problems in life. Be who God made you to be. I told you last week about Gideon. Um, when he was a young man, God called him to, to, to raise up an army in Israel. And in Judges 6, 12, he said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man, a fearless courage. He said, you're a high D personality. You're going to lead a bunch of people into victory. And these three evil armies had surrounded Gideon and all of God's people. So Gideon stepped up to the plate. He used the gift that God gave him of leadership and, and fearless and, and courageous. And he stepped up and he got 32,000 men to be on his side. Talk about incredible leadership gifting. In one day to get 32,000 people to say, I'm going to fight with you. I'm on your side. I got your back. But something very interesting happened. God spoke to him again in Judges 7 too. He said, Gideon, your army's too big. Now, wait a minute. If I'm going to fight a bunch of crazy people, I want as many guys as I can have with me to put in front of me. And I'll stand at the back and cheer them on, right? And so I want, want 32,000 is a good number. But God said this. If I give you the victory, they'll think it was their strength. They'll think it was their talent, their connections, their friends, their intelligence. If I give you the victory, they'll think they want it by themselves and they won't give credit where credit is due. So all of the men were around this freshwater lake and God said, oh, no, 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 this was no. God said to him, he said, I'll announce everyone that's scared and afraid they can go home. And Gideon's thinking this, I'm such a great leader. Nobody's going to be afraid. I ain't got no sissies around here. Hey, everybody that's afraid, you can go home. And Gideon looked around and 22,000 men walked away. And 10,000 men are left. I think Gideon's thinking, well, I had 32,000 people just to hear a few minutes ago. 10,000 guys. And Gideon's thinking, you know what? I can do it. We can do it. I can do it. Um, if one guy, every guy kills five bad guys uh, before they die, then they'll be like, okay, okay, I think we can handle We got it. We got it. Okay, God, we're ready. We're going to do it with 10,000 men. And, get, and God said this in verse 4. Gideon, you still have too many soldiers. But God, I need these people. If they're not with me, how am I going to do it? And God said, no, I've given you the gift, man. You got what it takes. So then God said, have all the men drink from this fresh water. And all the men who drink like normal men with their hands, you know, like when you go to the sink at night and you drink like this. He said, all the men that drink normally, um, I want you to uh, keep them. And all the men that drink like dogs, you know, read your Bible. He said, send them home. Now, personally, if I'm going to fight, I want men that drink like dogs fighting with me. But all the dog drinking men, they all went home. And guess how much Gideon had left? 300 men, which tells me that a lot of men drink like dogs, right? From 32,000 to 300. Here's the, here's the point. Um, it's not so much how many people you have with you. It's do you have the right ones with you? Quality is much more important than quantity when it comes to relationships. 
God told him in verse 7, Gideon, I'll give you victory over the Midianites with just 300 men. Our destiny is not tied to what everyone thinks about us. It's tied to God. Here's the point. It's better to walk in your God-given gift than have 32,000 people cheering you on. Can you imagine having a business with 32,000 clients and then one day you got 300 and God says, oh, no, you're going to excel even more. One day you got 32,000 Instagram followers. The next day, 300. God says, no, I'm going to make you successful. The, the victory is all going to be because I'm on your side. Be confident in that. Point number three is this. Be confident in his grace. Be confident in your God, in your God-given gifts, and in God's grace in your life. It is so easy to come to church and lift your hands and serve and sing and worship when you haven't made any mistakes that week. But it is so difficult to be confident in your relationship with God when you have sin in your life. Romans 5, 17 says this, those who receive God's grace and the free gift of righteousness, that's a position in right standing with God, you will reign with Jesus Christ. Listen real close. The position of being a child of God, uh, the position of being a saved believer, it was never, you never gotten that position by your performance. Therefore, you cannot lose it by your performance. You did nothing good to get there. You can do nothing bad to leave there. I don't care what you did last week, last month, last year. It's not about you. You have to keep remembering this. It's not about self. It's about Jesus. Anytime you feel down about your sin, you're thinking of you. You need to be thinking about what Jesus did for you. You say, well, what about when I sin? Watch this. This is absolutely crazy. Hebrews 4.16. Come boldly and confidently. God says, when you sin, be confident. When you've made mistakes, be confident. When you feel like a failure, be confident. How can I be confident with what I've done? Not confident in you. Be confident that when you sin, God will give you mercy. God will help you in time of need. Be confident to go to God's throne where you can receive mercy for failures and undeserved grace to help in time of need. You don't deserve it. You could not earn it. It's a free gift. You didn't do anything to get there. You can't do anything to lose it. If you want it, you got it. That's if you simply want it, you got it. That's it. That's it. Um, I think about the Queen of England. Uh, she is the epitome of, of dignity and confidence. When she walks into a room, she doesn't hang her head down and she's not ashamed to try new hats and do whatever she wants. She just has so much confidence. But here's the thing about the Queen of England. She's not that pretty of a woman. If I wasn't married, you could not pay me to date the Queen of England. I don't care how much money she has. She's not even the richest woman. And she's not the smartest. So why is she so confident? Here's why. She knows that she comes from a long line of royalty. She knows that she has royal blood flowing through her veins. Do you know that your brother is the king of kings? Your brother's in a higher position than the queen of England? Do you know your father is the king of the universe? You have royal blood in your veins. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people for God's own possession. That's why you can be confident because you come from his family. You should have more confidence than the Queen of England. Um, in 2 Samuel, there's a story of, of King Saul, and he had a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Now, the story would be so much easier to tell if his name was Bob, but it's not. It's Mephibosheth, okay? So Saul was not a good king, 
And his son, Jonathan, would have normally taken the throne. But God said that David is going to be a new royal family in the kingdom. So when Saul's trying to kill David, Saul's son, Jonathan, decided to do the right thing and help David. They became blood brothers. What that meant was they made a pact. If anything happens to the other one, the other one will take care of their family. So whoever dies first, the other one's supposed to take care of their wife and kids and anything like that. One day, Saul and Jonathan die in the same day on the battlefield. Everybody at the palace doesn't know that David's a good guy who loves God and wants to do the right thing. They just get scared to death. So Mephibosheth's nanny, a lady that was paid to take care of him, picks him up as a baby, a toddler, starts running out of the palace with him in fear that someone's going to kill him, and she trips over the stairs, falls on top of the baby, and breaks both of his legs, leaving him crippled for the rest of his life. Somebody drops him off in a city called Lodabar. Lodabar was the most poor, horrible place that you could ever live. It's like taking a kid and dropping him off at 3rd Avenue in Myrtle Beach. And Mephibosheth just sat there day after day, begging for money, crippled on the side of the street, nasty, disgusting, poor. He spent his whole, he spent year after year like that. And so David comes into the palace. And one day David is thinking about his friend Jonathan, who had already passed away. And in 2 Samuel 9, 1, David said, Is there anybody left from the house of Saul that I can be kind to for Jonathan's sake? And they said, Well, well King, uh, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, but he's crippled. He's poor. He's living in Lodabar. He's just begging for food, man. There's nothing special about him. David said, Get him and bring him to the palace. So they pick this guy up. They bring him to live at the palace. And in verse 7, David said this, Don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness for your father Jonathan's sake. I'll give you back all the land that was your grandfather Saul's. You're going to eat at my table as one of the king's son. Dude, you're royalty. You're part of the royal family. You should have been here a long time ago. Now, here's my question. On paper, Mephibosheth knew that he was royalty. He knew that he came from a long line of royal blood. He knew he belonged to the palace. Why didn't he get on his crutches one day and, and wibble wobble his way all the way up there and knock on the door and say, listen, y'all, my family is part of the royal family. I got royal blood in my veins. I want some servants. I want a bedroom upstairs. I want to eat some good food. Why didn't he do that? Why did he remain in Lodabar? I'll tell you why. It's because he made it all about himself. In verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed his head and said, Why should anybody do anything good for me? Why should God bless me? Why should anything great happen in my life? Why should I be healed? Why should I be given this promotion? Why should God do something? I am worth no more than a dead dog. His own self-image stopped him from receiving everything that God had for him. He made it about him. Dude, it was never about you in the first place. It was always about who your father is. It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with your dad. And you may be here today and you may be um, spiritually crippled. You made horrible mistakes, done bad things in your past. Last night, I don't know. Listen, no matter what, you're still a child of the king. You're still royal family. You're still part of the believers. 
Why not step up, receive that mercy, which he already has ready because he knew you were going to do what you were going to do, and receive everything that God has for you. Luke 12, 32, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the king. His kingdom's bigger than the queen of England's kingdom. He's got it all. I'll close with a, a, a true story about this teenager. He wasn't doing well in school, and, and one day a teacher just kind of said something to him like, um, you know, you're not very smart. And so you probably should just drop out of school and just learn a trade or something like that. And this young guy, he didn't know any better. He, he believed what she said. And so he dropped out of school and he fumbled through life for 17 years, just taking jobs here and there, trying to make ends meet. Every time he wanted to step out, he kept hearing that voice ring back. You're not smart. You're not talented. You're not going to be successful. One day, he decided to, to go in for a job. It was a minimum wage job at this big company. But every potential employee at the company was required to take an IQ test before they get hired. And so he took the IQ test. The results came back. He scored higher than anyone in the entire company's history, including the CEO. In fact, his IQ qualified him as a genius. Do you know he turned down that minimum wage job after he figured that out? He started inventing things, got things patented, wrote books. He stepped out and started his own billion-dollar company. <laughs> and here's the problem, though. He spent 17 years wasting his life because he put more value on what some person said than what God said. His confidence was in the world, in his own self. He didn't realize the gift that God had given him. He didn't realize who he was. And my encouragement for you today is don't play a position you were never play, called to play. My encouragement is put more confidence in what God's word says than what you think. You don't need everybody to cheer you on and have their approval and validation. You can be who God made you to be and be confident in the fact that you are a child of the king. Amen. 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 Okay.